Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, January 21st. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. It's a new day in America as Joe Biden is sworn in as the 46th president of the U.S., the new commander and his historic vice president, Kamala Harris, facing a huge number of challenges from the pandemic to racial inequality across the country. And the new president facing a variety of crises in his first 24 hours, issuing executive orders on the nation's coronavirus response, immigration, and climate change. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Joe Biden, the new president, kicking off his administration with a huge number of executive orders and calling for unity in a time of crisis. Andrea Linares has a look at a new day in Washington. A spectacular fireworks display over Washington, D.C. culminated Inauguration Day in America. Surrounded by their families, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris making history. Three past presidents there to witness it. The crowd was small, socially distanced and masked. Lady Gaga kicking off the ceremony, singing the Star Spangled Banner. The day both solemn and celebratory. Kamala Davy Harris, solemnly swear. Harris became the first woman, black American and South Asian American to be named a vice president, sworn in by Justice Sonia Sotomayor, the first Latina on the Supreme Court. So help me God. Harris sharing a fist bump with another history maker, former President Barack Obama, and a moment with Mike Pence, the man she replaced. Then, Joe Biden taking the oath, placing his left hand on the Bible that's been in his family for more than 100 years. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. You. Biden delivering a message centered on unity. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity. President Biden also speaking directly to the 74 million Americans who voted for Trump. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. Other inauguration musical performances, Jennifer Lopez performing a medley of This Land is Our Land and America the Beautiful. This land was made for you and me. And Garth Brooks with an a cappella version of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Then, within hours of arriving to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, President Biden was at work issuing more than a dozen executive actions. 
The state of the nation today is no time to waste, get to work immediately. Including rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, putting an end to the so-called Muslim ban, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline permit, imposing a mask mandate on federal property, and stopping the U.S. withdrawal from the World Health Organization, among others. The Senate leader confirming Biden's first cabinet nominee that evening, approving Avril Haines for director of national intelligence, the first woman to serve in the role. Please raise your white hand. Also, Vice President Harris swore in three new Democratic senators, among them Alex Padilla, who will take her old Senate seat. Padilla will become California's first Latino senator. Today, a Senate committee will hold a confirmation hearing for Pete Buttigieg, President Biden's pick to lead the Transportation Department. If all of Biden's nominees are confirmed, his cabinet will contain more women and people of color than any other cabinet in U.S. history. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And the pandemic at the top of the list of the new administration. Today President's, is President Joe Biden's first full day in office, and his goal is to sign 10 executive orders, all of them aimed at improving the national response to the pandemic. Edwin Piti had the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. That's right, Carolina. President Joe Biden got to work the same day of his inauguration, but today, being his full day in office, he's prioritizing the pandemic. Biden is rolling out his national strategy to tackle the pandemic, and the plan is starting with a series of executive orders to deal with the many of the issues, such as record high cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, according to them, all inherited by the Trump administration. Let's take a listen to what the new White House Director of Communication had to say about that. Some of the things that he is signing today are uh, EOs that are going to direct uh, agencies to use the Defense Production Act and all other mechanisms available to them to increase the number of syringes, for example, and just uh, to make sure that we have the material that we need to, to get these vaccinations into arms around the country. So this is an incredibly important focus for him. Now let's take a look at some of the executive orders. One is for supplies for vaccinations, testing, and personal protecting equipment. A presidential memorandum directing FEMA to increase federal reimbursement from 75 to 100, especially when it comes to PPE for schools. Another order to enhance the U.S. collection of data, and one that could be very controversial. An executive order to require mask wearing in airports and in certain modes of transportation, including trains, planes, maritime vessels, and intercity buses. This order also will require international travelers to provide proof of a negative COVID-19 test before coming to the U.S. According to members of the new administration, they are inheriting a virtually non-existent plan for the distribution of coronavirus vaccines. Many reports suggest that the Trump administration didn't have a distribution plan even weeks after vaccines were approved. President Biden has vowed to speed up the pace of vaccination intending to get in 100 million Americans vaccinated in his first 100 days in office. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you.
Thank you, Edwin, for that report from Washington, D.C. And now the incoming Biden administration is now being celebrated by all Americans. A number of people in Oregon were arrested after protesters vandalized the Democratic Party headquarters in Portland. They were caught on camera smashing windows on Wednesday afternoon. Police say the group split from a larger protest at the city's Revolution Hall. Around 150 people then marched to the Democratic headquarters where they were they were they defaced the building. And a small group of protesters in Colorado spent the inauguration demonstrating in Denver. First, an anti-fascist group walked to the state capitol Wednesday. Then another group of demonstrators also burned American flags outside of the building. The groups were reportedly rallying against both Democrats and Republicans while also protesting police violence and racial injustice. And even though we did not see major violence from the far right, extremist groups will linger as a reality that the Biden and Harris administration have to confront. And joining us now to talk about what comes next for those groups is Jason Blazekins. He is a former counterterrorism official at the State Department and a research fellow at the Sufan Center. Thank you so much for your time, Jason. Thanks for having me, Carolina. Nice to see you. Likewise, Jason, thankfully, we saw no violence yesterday, but is the threat over? No, it's not over by a, a long shot. The, the threat um, is going to endure. After January 6th, the U.S. government learned a really hard lesson, the need to take white supremacist militia groups and anti-government groups seriously. And they were ready on January 17th and, of course, on Inauguration Day on the 20th. Everybody was expecting some kind of possibility of an attack. But those dates passed without bloodshed, thankfully, largely in part because of the fortification of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., and capitals throughout the country. We saw law enforcement and National Guard deployed everywhere at a very large number, and that really served as a deterrent. But again, the threat's not over. It's going to persist for years to come because the size of this movement is really significant. There are likely hundreds of thousands of individuals who self-identify with white supremacy, uh, anti-government behavior, militia movements, and that makes them a really difficult force to deal with in the United States. And simply put, the Biden-Harris administration um, are viewed by these individuals as an enemy. And in a lot of ways, sadly, some of our own former politicians, and including President Trump and Rudolf Giuliani, really put a target on the back of the Biden-Harris team as well. So this is going to be an enduring challenge. Now, what has been the reaction from far-right groups to Trump's apparent resignation about the election? Are groups like the Proud Boys still backing him? So there's a lot of profound disappointment within the segments of the far right to include the Proud Boys. Now, everybody knows on September 29th, the president, um, President Trump said, stand by and stand back when he was asked about the Proud Boys. And then on January 6th, he gave them and other groups an open invitation for insurrection. And the Proud Boys took him up on that, that call. And they went into the Capitol along with other groups and created mayhem. But afterwards, they feel the president didn't sufficiently stand behind them. Um, they, they felt that he, they fought for him, but he didn't fight back for them. So there's a lot of disappointment. And there's a lot of disappointment with others on the, the, the right-wing side of the spectrum, to include the, the QAnon movement, who were really thinking that the president, uh, President Trump, would stay in power. 
um, and that didn't happen. So their conspiracy theory was was foiled. But then what do you think happened with that? The so-called the Great Awakening was supposed to happen yesterday, but we didn't see any violence going on. So I, I think in, in a lot of ways, what happened was the United States institutions designed for a peaceful transition and power um, for democracy to endure held. Um, and in the end, that was what I think defeated some of these conspiracy theorists and white supremacist group and anti-government groups in the short term. But we shouldn't make any mistake here that this is a movement that's just going to go away. There are a lot of things that have to be done to fight against it. Now, Jason, who do you think will take Trump's place within the Republican Party? So in, in terms of the, the radical right wing part of the, the movement, those associated with the Proud Boys, QAnon, Trump has been a really important unifying figure. He has lost his platforms, though. He lost his online social media platform. He lost Twitter. He lost the power of the Oval Office. So he doesn't have an easy way to communicate with them right now. But there aren't any really radical right figures at the same level as President Trump. There are a few minor figures who are certainly going to try to gain the support of the President Trump movement. Um, for QAnon, for instance, there are a couple of members of Congress uh, both of whom um, recently elected, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia and Lauren Boebert from Colorado, who are individuals who subscribe to the QAnon theory. So they could be the next set of individuals who try to continue the, the fight on behalf of those who follow the QAnon conspiracy. Lauren Boebert's really well known for trying to take her firearm into the, the floor of the, the House of Representatives. So those anti-government groups um, really have a pro-Second Amendment feel, um, pro-right uh, gun movement feel that Lauren Boebert also may be appealing to them for as well. And now what are some of the solutions for addressing these extremist challenges? So it's a really complex challenge, right? Because you have a large set of individuals, like I said before, who really don't view President Biden as the winner of the election. He's perceived to be an enemy. And the last administration really didn't take the threat seriously. So President Biden and his national security team have a lot of work to do to deal with the threat of white supremacy and anti-government militias. They need to review laws. Is it necessary to have a domestic terrorism law? That's a question that they're going to have to answer and start thinking about on day two, which we are on now for the Biden administration. They're probably going to have to shift law enforcement resources to deal with the anti-militia um, the militia movement and anti-government groups. They're going to have to start collecting better intelligence on these actors that populate the far right. And they're going to have to work with international counterparts within the context of the U.N. Because what we're seeing in the United States, as it relates to the radical right, is happening elsewhere in the world. So the United States is going to have to partner up with allies to deal with this far right menace. It's a global menace. And the U.S.-based groups have connections to overseas networks. Simply put, America is less safe today than it was four years ago. And the Biden team has a lot of work to fix it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Jason Blasekis, Senior Research Fellow at the Sufan Center. Great talking to you today. Great seeing you, Carolina. Take care. You too. Now, some people facing deportation are getting a reprieve from President Biden. Wednesday, the Department of Homeland Security announced that it is pausing some deportations 
for 100 days. The order is a pledge from President Joe Biden. The DHS says it applies to, quote, certain non-citizens and was made to, quote, ensure we have a fair and effective immigration enforcement system. The department did not give any details about who might be off offered a stay in the deportation. The new policy begins Friday. And Biden also issued a memo to the Attorney General and Secretary of Homeland Security about DACA. That program shields undocumented immigrants who were brought to the U.S. as children from deportation. It has been in limbo since President Trump tried to terminate the program about three years ago. The Supreme Court blocked him, but the Trump administration continued to try to limit the program. Biden's memo orders federal officials to preserve and fortify DACA. And in one of his first actions as president, Joe Biden halted construction of former President Trump's border wall. The wall that President Trump falsely claimed would be paid for by Mexico is a symbol of his administration's restrictive immigration policies. President Biden ordered an immediate pause to the wall's construction until further review. The action represents a serious blow to what Trump called one of his major accomplishments. More of you news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And now to the latest on the pandemic. The country heading to half a million people dead in the next few weeks. All this as the new administration promises big changes on the pandemic response, starting with reversing a decision to leave the World Health Organization and tackling the vaccination fiasco. Lorraine Casares has the details. It's a new chapter in American politics, but the pandemic still ravaging the country. On Wednesday, almost 4,400 people dying of COVID-19. In Ohio, Dick and Ashley married 70 years, dying just minutes apart. The vaccine, the only hope of stopping the massive loss of life, but states struggling to get the job done. Nothing we can do about it. They ship it when they ship it. 4,400 doses of Moderna's vaccine delivered to Maine getting spoiled. At some point during the shipment of that box of Moderna vaccine, the required minimum temperature had been exceeded. New York City blaming delivery delays and shortages for the rescheduling of 22,000 appointments. Police and fire departments now halting their vaccination schedules. In West Virginia, 25,000 extra vaccine doses never showed up. California resuming the use of a batch of Moderna vaccines after halting it because 10 people reported allergic reactions, a decision that frees up 300,000 doses. State officials now warning that at the current pace and supply 
supply availability, it will take them at least five months to vaccinate the entire elderly population, 65 and older. Dr. Anthony Fauci feeling confident that President Biden will deliver on his promise of 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days of his administration. You know, first of all, if you look at the contractual arrangements that we've made, the amount that will be coming in, we will be able to meet that goal. Amid the chaos, some potentially good news, a federal memo showing overall the country is seeing fewer coronavirus cases week to week and deaths, although still incredibly high, are leveling off. The hope is now that the peak is behind us. And it'll be several more weeks before we can actually say that numbers are in reality trending down. It obviously needs to be sustainable for many more weeks to say that we actually crossed that peak. Meanwhile, on the vaccination front, we can say that at the pace that we're currently having right now nationwide, we will not achieve herd immunity per se until next summer of 2022. In order to uh, be able to achieve that by this summer, we need to pick up the pace and, and immunize um, very close to 2 million people a day, which is what the Biden administration hopes to be working towards. Right now, Amazon is offering the Biden administration help with delivery, saying, quote, they can leverage the operations of the company to do so in the letter that they sent Wednesday to the new president. They're also asking for some of their employees to be considered essential workers so they can receive the vaccine as soon as possible. Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. And in economic news, fewer Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week, lowering claims to 900,000. But that's still a historically high level that points out to further job cuts in a raging pandemic. The Labor Department says that 5.1 million Americans are continuing to receive state jobless benefits. In December, employers cut 145,000 jobs, the first law since April and the sixth straight month in which hiring has weakened. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.